2: You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. Welcome into another edition of Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett, at Spirit, Ben on Twitter. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit. OMSpirit.com for the bone three. Bradley South, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. The usual co-host of Talk of Champions, not franchise player, not hit that line, hashtag not committed, of Talk of Champions. Well, he has COVID. Sounds terrible, but he's doing okay. So I call my friend Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson, Clarion, Ledger. And more than that, nobody can break down Ole Miss football, college football in general, from an analytical perspective, better than my buddy Nick. Hey buddy, what's going on?
0: Hello, I'm back. How are you? I don't know why I went Jerry Lewis with the intro there. Hello. You did do that. That's exactly what you said. That's the first thing I thought of.
2: Well, I couldn't I couldn't remember who it was that went the hello. No, oh yeah, Jerry Lewis. That was you.
0: It kind yeah, of like goes with your whole aesthetic, your whole vibe. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
2: You're welcome. What have you been working on? What have you been doing?
0: Well, I mean, it's football season, I guess. We're uh, we're getting ready. I, I have four different versions of the announced starting quarterback story pre-written, and we're all ready to go, man. It's going to be Jackson Dart. I, I think so, but I'm, I'm not going to. I mean, I woke up on Memorial Day and said, do I need to write a story where Ole Miss makes the NCAA tournament? And I, I smartly did eventually, but now I, I don't guard against the pre-writes. Whatever possibly can happen, I'm going to pre-write it. That
2: just means that you have more time on your hands than you really care to admit. That's all that is.
0: Oh, I mean, it's if I'm getting paid, I'm going to work. I write fast, so I might as well write a lot, too.
2: You are a fast writer. What have you learned as we wait and wait and wait some more for Ole Miss football to finally kick off? What have you learned so far in camp? About so tell me this- something
0: that I don't know, Nick. I don't know man I I think that this team is a very uninteresting kind of interesting where like there's nobody on this team who I'm super excited to be like oh this guy's this story everything's going to be interesting everything's great but there's like 30 dudes who I'm fascinated by like there there's nothing that's going to be the story in my mind and maybe I'm wrong maybe somebody emerges but I just look at a roster with I think 45 46 percent of its players being brand new I I have no idea I've watched every practice this team has held so far that they've allowed me to come to I've seen every second they've allowed me to be there and I just I still don't have a great grasp on on where the strengths and weaknesses of this team are going to lie I think you can give the generic answers of, oh, the run game's going to be really good. Oh, maybe there's some worries on the front seven defensively. I, I don't know, man. I think this is a team that we're really not going to know what they are capable of until October 1st. And as we sit here on, what's today's date, the 25th, 26th of August, I don't know. I really have no clue. And I wish I had something more analytically driven because you guys who've listened to me on this podcast before, look, no, I I love to come in with the numbers and the analysis and tell you what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. They're about to start a season against Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, and Tulsa, and then two SEC East teams. And I think Kentucky's really good and can beat them. But I mean, you're looking down a schedule where yeah, four non-conference games, two SEC East teams, and then your first West game against the West team that had the most tumultuous off season. You could be looking at late October before you face a team that actually shows what this team's capable of. I, I really have no clue how to how to gauge what we're about to see. What's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? The best case, ten and two. Worst case, six and six. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 I, I think that I'm picking eight and four. I'm teetering on the eight and four, nine and three line. I really don't know what to do with that Kentucky game, but somewhere around there. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see this team beating Alabama and I don't see this team sweeping all three of the road games against LSU A&M Arkansas. I could see them going two and one. I could see them going zero oh and three. You never know. But I, I probably think it's a one and two or two and one situation. So that's the two losses in the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you lose all three of those games. You lose to Alabama, you lose to Kentucky, you lose to Auburn or State. I don't see a world where you you lose seven SEC games. <laughs> that, that'd be really, really tricky. But I mean, I mean it's possible. But I'm, I'm assuming they go 4-0 in the non-con. I'm assuming they beat Vandy. And then the other seven games are you're going to have to win one of them.
2: Well, you got those preseason votes. You're one of those preseason voters for top 25 and the oh, highest. No, I'm not.
0: You're not? No, I am in basketball, but I don't vote in football. Whoa. That changes things completely. My... I thought you <laughs> voted for everything. No, uh, since I work for a Gannett newspaper and we run the coaches' poll in football, we prefer not to vote in the competing poll for that's, uh That's fair. A, a, You make it sound like I'm supposed to know that. Come on. No, no, that's why I'm – Ben, I'm explaining. I'm not talking down.
2: Uh, There's a very fine line with you, though, whether you're talking down or explaining.
0: Yeah, that's because I'm not very good at modulating the
2: tone of my voice. If you had a top 25 vote, would Ole Miss be top 15?
0: No, I think they'd probably be around where they are. I think 18 to 24 is probably – the right range. I don't know if we're just talking about SEC teams. I don't know how you separate Arkansas, Ole Miss and Kentucky. I think they are very, very similar uh, heading into the preseason. So I think that that's probably the right place to put them. If you're just looking at the SEC West, I could hear any argument from second to sixth. I mean, the SEC West was weird last year, and I think it figures to be a little more normal this year, which doesn't bode super well for a team like Ole Miss that normally is a little bit behind uh, Alabama, a LSU and Auburn. I, I don't think they're going to be behind all four this year, but I also don't think we're going to experience an SEC West this year where AM doesn't know what it's doing in the second half of the season and LSU has a lame duck head coach and Mississippi State can't kick field goals and Auburn well, Auburn, Auburn still might be what it was last year. I don't know. And then Arkansas, I mean, last year they were a two-point conversion away from having the same record or a better record than Ole Miss. I mean, it's going to be different. I don't think it's going to be the same as it was last year. But I don't know. I I at least think that Ole Miss, given the talent that we know they have, should figure as, like, the 23rd best team in the country or something like that. Well, kids these days
2: say that's sus, and it just plays perfectly with your last name because your last name is sus. And you cover noticed, yeah. With the Jackson-Clarion-Ledger <laughs> covering Ole Miss. All right, so what that sus means, according to my 10-year-old, is that suspect, that's suspicious, right? All right, we're going to do it as that sus. You tell me your rankings. That's what I want to know is sus. Give me the rankings of the SEC because I want to know where Ole Miss is. Alabama's number one. Georgia's probably number two, but you're my analytical guy. You're who I call to educate me on why I am being too bullish or too much of a homer, pumping up Ole Miss, thinking that they could be a sleeper contender in the West, a real sleeper contender. Got uh, J.D. Pickle over there at Own 3 with me, predicting Zach Evans could be a sleeper Heisman candidate. You're not buying into that, so here you go. It's sus giving me all his susness.
0: I'll run through the East before I run through the West because I I have never merged them. I've always just ranked the East and then ranked the West East. I think my preseason picks went Georgia one, Tennessee, two Kentucky, three Florida, four Carolina, five, Missouri, six Vanderbilt, seven. Yeah. I am uneasy on the Tennessee versus Kentucky thing, but I I just Tennessee plays them at home. I think, I think that's the edge there and they're going to have similar records. In the West, I think I, you can't pick ties in the SEC preseason poll. So I did have to rank them one to seven. Realistically, I would have a three-way tie for third, but I go Alabama one, LSU two, Ooh. A&M, Ole Miss and Arkansas three to five in whatever order you put them. And then Auburn six, state seven. But as I said earlier, you could talk me, any team two to seven in any place so I'm higher on LSU than most people this year and I acknowledge that but I also acknowledge that Brian Kelly's never really lost before I mean he's had one or two bad seasons but everywhere he goes he tends to find success and it doesn't matter really what the personnel or what the competition is so I'm kind of buying into that plus the uh Their quarterback situation is going to be improved over last year, especially in the secondary. I just like the way that team is built this year, and talent is always the most important thing, and they've always had the talent, and now that they have a little bit more consistency uh, on the sidelines over what has been a really uneven last seven, eight years, counting the last couple of years of the last Miles era, I think that consistency is going to do them good. I think Ole Miss is – I'm going to have a predictions post come out later this week, and I am picking Ole Miss to beat A&M despite all the preseason hype for a and Oh, stop. Breaking news. It's
2: Sus. Nick Sus is reporting Ole Miss will beat Texas A&M in the 2022
0: season. Back to you, Nick. Yeah, and I'm also predicting they lose to Arkansas, so you will break the news however you want. But That's
2: kind of a safe thing to pick, though, because Ole Miss-Arkansas is always weird, and typically
0: Arkansas comes out less weird than the other team being Ole Miss. Yeah, but I, I would not be shocked if those three teams are in a three-way, like well, Ole Miss. beats A&M, <laughs> a- and, M- and M- beats Arkansas, Arkansas beats Ole Miss type of thing, where it's just they all have one and one against each other. I, I really what have no idea. What saying
2: is that everybody gets a little something.
0: Sure, if, if you want to put it in those specific terms, I, I wouldn't tell you not to. But yeah, I, I really don't know how to separate those teams. I don't love the situation of a youth and its passing game. I, I really don't know exactly what to expect. I do think for as much as I really, really think Zach Evans is a potential like all SEC sleeper type guy like you were talking about. I think a and has got the best running back in the league, and I'm not going to try and butcher his last name because I've said it wrong 13 different ways. But if he's you had
2: group. to do or die, say his last name, you have to. What are you going with?
0: Is it A-Shane? Is it Devin A-Shane? Because I've always said a Kane, but I really have no clue. Okay, so it's your do or die answer. If I'm going with A-Shane. A-Shane. I am going with A-Shane. Okay. Right. Um, Devin A. Shane, if we're, if that is – I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, Devin. I know you listen to Ben's podcast every day. Yeah.
2: But, yeah. Devin's definitely tuned in to Talk of Champions on a Thursday with Ben and Nick Suss talking about it's sus as old people. Sure.
0: Yeah. Nice. Uh, I, I think that that's going to be one of the best running games in the SEC, and I think that his speed is an asset that very few other teams have – so I, I I like that part of A and It's just there's so much unknown when you're going to be playing as much youth as the Aggies are. So I don't know too much, but I do I do think right now that I would take Ole Miss's experience over A stars. But who knows? Kyle Field, weird things happen there. I and then beyond to the to the two teams I have at the bottom of the SEC, I think Auburn's going to be better than we're giving them credit for, just because the first immutable rule of talking about the sec is if you think auburn's going to be good they're probably going to be bad and if you think auburn's going to be bad they're probably going to be good so (laughs) in a year where everybody is down on auburn i am i guess buying the curve and saying look it's auburn weird stuff happens they can win eight games they've got too much talent especially on defense i think we've undersold just how many good players they have on defense there and state i I like the experience. I really do like that this is a team that's played together in this same system for three years now. Third-year quarterback, third-year running back, third-year receiver. They've brought in some transfers. They've brought in some freshmen. But the offense is what it is. And it's a bunch of guys who know what they're doing. And I think with Mike, Mike Leach's air raid, and also it's similar with like a triple option offense when Paul Johnson was at Georgia Tech, it'll be in cycles where every third year or every fourth year you'll have that team that can win eight, nine, 10 games. It always plays. It always plays. It always plays to the experience you have. And with the experience they have, it could play. So with the exception of Alabama, which I'm picking to go 15 and O because I'm a person that doesn't bet against the obvious. I really think any of the next six teams in the sec West can finish anywhere. And I know that's not a, a snappy prediction to say anything can happen but after last year when so many teams were down i think we're actually going to have a regular sec west year where you got seven teams that can be top 25 at any time
2: well alabama's kind of like the house now yeah. with casinos they are the house so to bet against the house would be stupid
0: yeah don't don't do that don't bet against a Nick Sabin team i i My playoff predictions are probably the most boring generic predictions you could come up with, but it looks like a year where 12 and 0 Georgia is going to play 12 and 0 Alabama in the sec championship. And one of them is going to be the one seed in the playoff. One of them is going to be the three seed in the playoff, And then you probably got Ohio state and Clemson in the other two spots. I mean, it's, it's one of those years where the powerhouses are the powerhouses and we can complain about playoff expansion all we want, but whether you got 16 teams in the playoffs or whether you got four teams in the playoffs, those four teams are probably going to be in the final four more years than they're not.
2: You, you talked right through my initial snore, so I had to snore again. If it's Georgia, Alabama, that's so boring, but it's what's going to happen probably. It's just so boring.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's like a Republican running against a Democrat. It's just the thing that happens. We'd love third parties, but –
2: in theory, we love parties. third parties. We love third parties in theories. Just like with everything now in politics, everybody's just tuning in and watch to see if their team's winning. That's the funny thing about politics these days. I will say this, though. You brought up LSU and your love for LSU. If LSU's head coach wasn't Brian Kelly, you sound more like a Brian Kelly fangirl than a believer in LSU. So if LSU's head coach was Jimbo instead with Jaden Daniels at quarterback, you'd still feel the same way?
0: Maybe. So Jaden Daniels had this awesome freshman year. I, I don't know if everybody was watching Arizona State football in 2020, 2019, whenever he was a freshman. He was I can really
2: safely say that the devoted listeners of the Talk of Champions podcast probably weren't as devoted as you. It's sus, Nick,
0: sus. So he, uh, he had a really good freshman year, came to Arizona State as a five-star, started early, and then – his running back, Ido Benjamin, went pro, and his best receiver, Brandon Ayuk, went in the first round, went pro, and he didn't have the same caliber seasons without them, and it led people to kind of make the argument, oh, well, maybe he's only good when there are good players around him. Well, now he's at LSU, so I don't think that argument of, oh, he was only good with Brandon Ayuk, is going to hold water when now he has Keyshawn Boutte, who I think is if not the best receiver in the country, definitely the best receiver in the SEC this year. I think that if it's Jaden Daniels, I mean, uh, Nussmeyer has drawn rave reviews from the people I've talked to down in Baton Rouge and he could win the job. I'm not going to say he can't, but I think the running game is going to be pretty stable once you hit uh, October. I I actually kind of like what they've got going there. I think the defense has, as I mentioned, you bring in a lot of help in the secondary because they're replacing so much. And I think that bringing in those two transfers from Arkansas, that transfer from Ohio state, I think that's going to kind of stabilize things back there where they've had a rough couple of years, especially with Stingley hurt so much. I, I like the pass rush they have. Uh, I, I think is it Ojolari is still there and uh, they've got two of the better interior defensive tackles in the country. Uh, Mason Smith being one of them and another name I'm not going to pronounce correctly being the other. I, I like the talent they have. And So my theory with coaching, and maybe you've heard me say this on the podcast before. Maybe you've heard me say this just as a friend before. (laughs) I tend to think that unless you have a top five percentage coach or a bottom five percentage coach, coaching really doesn't matter that much on game day. But now LSU does have a top five percentage coach. I think talent wins in 90% of the matchups. But in the situation where... Yeah, now you have a guy who has won Division Two national championships and one at Central Michigan and one at Cincinnati and one at Notre Dame. You got a guy who's proven to build that culture and build that team chemistry or whatever that secret it factor that none of us understand is that only really Saban and Dabo and Kirby and a few other guys in college football can claim they've done. He's done it and he's done it at a buttload of places. You combine that with one of the t- five to 10 most talented rosters in the country. And yeah, I think they're ready for a bounce back. Now, does that mean they're going to be ready day one? I have no clue. I'm not there every day. I just talk to people who are, because I'm lucky enough to have friends who cover LSU. But I guess I'm buying the bounce back with them more than I am buying a step forward for A&M when they have so much youth, or a step forward for Ole Miss and Arkansas when they both lost such important playmakers off of last year's teams.
2: If Lane Kiffin was the head
0: coach at LSU, would you still have that prediction? Sure. I mean, that'd be fun. They'd be a drastically different team, but... I just like when teams have really good players. Uh, You can make that the headline. Nick Suss thinks it's better when good players are on good teams. Well, it it have a lot of good good players. A collection
2: of good players? Because I've been saying this on this podcast. I've been around – you haven't, so you're more objective. But I've been around almost my entire life, and I've covered 11 of these camps. And I've never felt more bullish about a team. I don't know what that means. But I've never felt more bullish about a team going into the year than this one as far as – what its floor could be because the floor for Ole Miss used to be two and 11, two and 10. I've been there. I've seen it. Right. Um, The floor for this Ole Miss team at worst is seven wins for me just because of the schedule. But I think that top to bottom, the talent is the best it's ever had. And I was talking to drill Poe earlier today and uh he kind of like went, what, what are you talking about? When I said this secondary, for example, is the deepest Ole Miss has ever had. He was like offended. He goes, wait a second. You're saying this group's better than Mike Hilton, Cody Pruitt, Sinquez Golston, Trey Elston. No, no, I'm not saying that. But there isn't all that much of a difference. And actually, you can make an argument, for example, with Aisheem Young and Cody Pruitt. Cody Pruitt didn't make it in the NFL. He's a great Ole Miss player. But Aisheem Young, as far as talent, they're pretty comparable. Now, there's no Mike Hilton, in my opinion, one of the top three best defensive backs Ole Miss has ever had. There's not a Mike Hilton or Sinquez Golson top-end talent at cornerback, but DeAndre Prince, he's going to be an NFL player. Miles Battle has NFL talent. And Davison Igbenosan reminds me, since we're talking about LSU, of Patrick Peterson. So why not Ole Miss? Wow. If you haven't already subscribed, review Talk of Champions and iTunes, and when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say. As long as it's five stars, this podcast can be found wherever you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions. And Talk of Champions is brought to you in part – by Thomas Chandler of Capital Financial Group. When's the last time you thought about retirement? What about saving for your kid's college? In these crazy economic times, working with a professional is of the utmost importance, and that's where my friend Thomas Chandler comes in. Thomas is a financial planner with Capital Financial Group, and he wants to help you make the right decisions for your financial future. So give him a call today at 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. And tell them that Ben sent you for a no-cost consultation and get started toward financial independence today with Thomas Chandler of Capital Financial Group. Your OMAS baseball rebels are national champions. Yes, that really happened. Your eyes did not deceive you. And what better way to celebrate since we all spent way too much money getting to and back home from Omaha than with a new car. Listen to NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you.
1: Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it?
0: I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point.
1: The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.
0: So I'm going to play a thought exercise here, and I'm not trying to lead the witness. I am genuinely curious what you are going to say. I don't have a snappy name for this segment like you did, so I'm sorry. But I have a notepad in front of me, and I have written three columns, one for better, one for worse, one for the same. I am going to go through every single position group on a football field. You tell me if you think that position group is going to be better, worse, or the same for Ole Miss this year as it was last year. Quarterback. Worse. Running back. Better.
2: Receiver. Can we do pushes?
0: That's the same, yeah. Push. Tight end. Better. Offensive line. Better. Uh, defensive interior.
2: Better. Edge rush. Worse. Only because Sam inside Le- linebacker Sam Williams is just better than anything they have i love what they have though so that makes me uh, uh, worse sounds so negative anyway what inside linebacker worse cornerback better
0: kicking or sorry safety first safety
2: i think to say uh better
0: a kicker worse
2: no push hunter push better better cruise is gonna be better Cruz is going to be better.
0: I'm writing in pen, so this tally marks are all over the place. You're saying Cruz is going to be better than Caden Costa was. Oh, gosh. Okay. Push. 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 Punting. Worse. (laughs) We got Ben Garrett. Returning. Nick. I know. And then kick returning.
2: Better. No. Okay. Wait. Ely was returning kicks. Who returned punts? Dontario?
0: It, it's a fair catch every time. That doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, that doesn't matter. All right, so kick returns. That's hard because Ely was an all-SEC guy returning kicks. You can say what you want to as about Ely as a running back, but as a returner, he was legit. Worse. Worse.
0: Okay. So – if those of you keeping track at home did better tallying than me every time Ben said a word and then having to cross it out when he changed his mind, that has six better, five worse, two pushes. And I am less bullish than Ben is. So that is not to say I don't think this team is going to be good. I clearly do when I say eight and four, nine and three is where I think they're going to be. What I'm saying is you look up and down this team And you look at all of the depth they have. Depth is great, but who are going to be the stars? Who are going to be the Matt Corrales and Sam Williams and Chance Campbells that are the difference between eight and four and 10 and two? Somebody's going to emerge. Maybe Zach Evans is as good as we think he is. Maybe Michael Trigg can be as good as we think he is. Maybe somebody, you know how high I've been on AJ Finley for three years. Maybe he can finally be that guy of oh, that's an All-SEC, All-American type safety. I I really don't know who it's going to be. J.J. Piggies could be the guy. Go up and down, whoever it's going to be that's the difference maker. Right now, four weeks into preseason practices, I haven't figured out who the difference maker is. And the best Lane Kiffin teams, especially the best Lane Kiffin offenses, are the ones that run through one guy. And I don't know who that guy or who those two or three guys are going to be. But has
2: that always been the case even with FAU and Alabama? Or is that just Ole Miss?
0: No, of course. You want me to go through the USC, FAU, Alabama teams? I mean
2: – Yeah, well, US- I'm, I'm asking because uh, with Reggie Bush, he had uh, – what was White's first name? Lindell. Lindell White. Lindell White. He had a lot of wide receivers. FAU – no, FAU is a little different because like with Ole Miss – you don't have the same kind of talent at your disposal at Alabama and USC, but even still at FAU, uh, Devin Singletary you runs it through him. I get that uh, Harrison Bryant at tight end. I just feel like you can't do a one-to-one comparison with Ole Miss, with where Ole Miss was when he was hired and then USC and Alabama. And even at Alabama, yeah, he features an Amari Cooper,
0: but it's not like he was just featuring Amari like he featured Elijah Moore who at school records. Well, it was more similar than you think, but – You go to his years as the head coach at USC, Marquise Lee, the way that he was the feature of that offense, sure. They had other players. They had two other pro receivers on that team. But Marquise Lee was the focal point of the offense. Right, but, okay, let
2: me ask you, on the spot, hold on. Elijah Moore, who was his second-best wide receiver that year? Dontario. But Dontario was a first-year Juco transfer from Scuba. It's not like he was going from Marquise Lee. He was a second-year
0: Juco transfer from Scuba.
2: Well, now you've blown a hole in the argument.
0: No, I mean, I agree that it is better to have um, Robert Woods as your number two receiver than his (laughs) Ontario drummer. God bless Ontario's he's a great player. He's still with the Cowboys, a great player. But, yeah. The point I'm making is that Marquise Lee, I think, finished fourth in the Heisman as a receiver that year. Like the offense was built around him in the same way that his three Alabama teams, the first year, the offense was clearly built around Amari Cooper. The second year, it was clearly built around Derrick Henry. And the third year, it was clearly built around Jalen Hurts. His three years at FAU, two years where Devin Singletary was leading the country in touches. And then year three was built around a tight end winning the Mackey award at FAU. You get to Ole Miss, his first year, his entire offense is built around Elijah. His second year, the entire offense is built around Corral. That's not to say that he can't build offenses around multiple weapons. But one of the most telling things he's ever said in a press conference was he talked about his interview with Saban to get the offensive coordinator job. And he looks at the roster and sees Amari Cooper is on the roster and says... One of the mistakes that I think you've made is when you had Julio Jones, you could have given him the ball 25 times a game. You didn't, but you could have. We have Amari Cooper. Let's try to do that. And obviously no receiver is going to get the ball 25 times a game, but that's his approach of, man, if Derrick Henry's untackleable, keep giving it to him until he gets tired. If Elijah Moore can't be covered, keep throwing it to him (laughs) until the game's over. And, And that's... That's Something that I think this is me lauding Giffen. This is me saying it's something that I wish more coaches would do of saying, Oh crap, we've got a player who's a cheat code, let's take advantage of that. Yeah, not you don't have Dallas to play
2: Cowboys and trade Amari Cooper to the Browns for a fifth and a sixth.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that. NFL teams, we have seen do more and more of it, of the Bills saying, look, if Josh Allen's our best passer and our best runner, let Josh Allen be the offense. The Packers saying, look, Devontae Adams, he's our only good receiver. Let's throw it to him almost every passing play. I think that approach works, and maybe it's Zach Evans. I don't think Zach Evans wants Maybe he ends up being that by proxy, but I think Evan made I think that Bullock's going to get his touches. And if Judkins is healthy, his touches. And I, I do think that that's going to be a rotation. I don't know who the number one receiver is going to be. Uh, based off what I'm seeing at practice I think Malik Heath is probably the most talented guy I think Mingo is a really solid number two and has been a really solid number two and can probably be a solid one if you need him to be I like Jordan Watkins I like Jalen Robinson I like JJ Henry I like Braylon Brown I like Jalen Knox like the depth as you were saying is remarkable it's such good depth but who's gonna be the centerpiece that's my big question man I'm getting cooked I'm just good at talking, Ben. <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> well, Jalen Robinson could be that guy, but he hadn't been to practice.
0: And so he's been in practice. Yeah. He's just not in full contact mode yet. And a lot of that is just them holding out guys that they already know who they are. I mean. But do they know
2: who Jalen Robinson is? I he think got the here tape, in May.
0: I think the tape shows
2: who he is. Yeah. That's the difference between. Lane Kiffin in this evaluation process than previous – like Ole Miss fans and media that have covered Ole Miss it is very different once you start to bleed into becoming a year-to-year contender, whatever that means to you. I'm not saying Ole Miss is going to go be with Georgia and Alabama and whoever, Clemson, and Ohio State in the Final Four, but a team that can go win nine, ten games every year – Ole Miss can be that, but, like, we're used to saying, well, yeah, Jalen Robinson was really great at Central Florida, but is he ready to come to Ole Miss? No, that's a different thing. Like, when you're a good program, like, Alabama's not thinking, man, I wonder if the transfer wide receiver, Jalen, uh, what is it, Burton, uh, I wonder if he's going to be good. You know, they know he's going to be good. So, it's, it's a different mindset as far as how Lane Kiffin and this, this staff evaluates and scouts. They know he's going to be good. So, yes – If it were another time in place when Ole Miss gets a big transfer, like, whoa, little Ole Miss got a big wide receiver from so-and-so that everybody else wanted, we'd say, well, they haven't seen him practice. He doesn't need to see him practice because he knows he's good.
0: Fill in the blank here, Ben. In order for Ole Miss to win nine or more games, blank percent of the transfers need to be as good or better than advertised. Oh, my God. I was told
2: there would be no math for me. That's why you come on, and it's it's sus. It's not Garrett. It's sus. All right. Which returning guys do we feel good about? That we know what they are. Well, you're not relying on this guy to be a guy like that for me is Cedric Johnson. Cedric Johnson's gonna be good. He's gonna be a good player. AJ Finley, gonna be a good player. DeAndre Prince. James. Who? Jeremy James. Nick Broker. Nick Broker um caleb warren eli yeah. acker solid solid as hell which started pretty much every other program all those guys not i so. what
0: i think so i think you're right yeah
2: all right um running backs completely new except for control <laughs> bullet uh quarterback if it was luke altmeyer it wouldn't feel the same if, if jackson dart was starting it just wouldn't feel the same and then wide receiver mingo Come on, can I interest you in a Jonathan Mingo? He had not stayed healthy for three years. Uh, I guess you need Jackson Dart, Michael Trigg. You don't need Mason Brooks necessarily. I'm not trying to be disparaging of him. I'm just thinking of like what the situation is right now. Jaden Williams is starting to left tackle. Troy Brown doesn't necessarily need to be good. Like if you told me it was Brandon Mack and Austin Keys that became the linebackers, Okay over Troy Brown and Kari Coleman.
0: I'm high well, on Austin Keys. by the way. I, think he's I am
2: too. To it. I am too. I'm actually, I was actually writing a story about him um, before I texted. He said, hey, you want a podcast? I think Austin – the only issue with Austin Keys has not been the talent. It's always been he can't stay healthy. He can't.
0: Let me pull this up because I, I was looking at this the other day. Uh, I don't necessarily love pro football focus grades as a metric of – Uh, quality, but if we're looking at Ole Miss defenders last year by their PFF grade, here are your top five best players. Number five, Ashanti Sistrunk, 75. Number four, A.J. Finley, 75.1. Number three, Sam Williams, 77.5. Number two, DeAndre Prince, seventy nine point three. Number one, Austin Keys, eighty five point five. What? Now it's a, li- it's limited exposure. It really is limited exposure. He played in five games. He played forty seven snaps compared this is, to this is Finley in baseball terms. This is a small sample size compared to how many snaps do you think AJ Finley played last year? Oh God, all but like what six? There were. 1,033 snaps, and A.J. Finley played 915 of them. Good Lord. Otis Reese played 945
2: of them. And now I wonder if he'll reach three-fourths of that.
0: Yeah. So, the again, small sample size. But you're looking at that as a defense. He had an 85.5 grade. The only two players on the entire team that had a better grade were Matt Corral and Jerry Neely. And that's good. Like when he was on the field last year, he was really, really good. He's got to stay healthy of course, but uh, say what you want about PFF grades that last year said that Snoop Connor graded 75.6 Henry Parrish graded 74.7 but Nick Broker graded 68, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how to differentiate that. I, I don't know why uh, John Rice Plumley and Nick Broker had the same offensive grade last year. I don't know where most of this stuff comes <laughs> from. Let's just knock sample sizes then. That's all that is. Because John but, Rice Plumlee was never on the field. Come on, man. The point I am making is when Austin Keys was on the field last year, The people who grade football for a living say he was Ole Miss's best defender. So you're saying that that
2: is a better metric than dumbass ginger kid from New
0: Albany going, hey, man, he looks pretty good out there. I'm not saying better. I'm saying it is complimentary.
2: He's a good player. So it kind of makes my point i don't it doesn't necessarily have to be a number it's just certain guys at certain spots yeah because if you said otis reese was better than isheem young okay all right if you said otis reese or even trey washington or Taishim johnson for god's sake who we're not talking enough about who any other year would be the dude on the defense for ole miss for ole miss i'm not talking about alabama and georgia and for Ole Miss, Tysheen would be the guy we all talk about constantly, incessantly. And yet he's in a competition at the same spot with a Trey Washington who would be starting in any other year, and Otis Reese. Now he's probably going to start. Point being, it's not necessarily a percentage of players. It's just certain guys at a certain spot. Jackson Dart has to be good. That's what it all comes down to.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about depth for a second because I'm going to make one more point uh, off Do the Do you P. have a percentage, though? Do yeah. You? About 75%. I think you can miss on 25% of your transfers if you have this many. But so so let's talk about depth. Uh, I'm reading from one of my stories. So if you guys want to read this, it's got a headline. I can read it later. But so I looked uh, looked at two people as an example here, Chance Campbell and Otis Reese last year. When Chance Campbell played fewer than 70 snaps in a game, his PFF grade was 66.1. When he played more than 70 snaps, it was 55.7. So that's a difference of Mm
2: 10.5.
0: When Otis Reese played 80 or fewer snaps, his grade was 63. When he played 80 or more snaps, his grade was 56.2. That's a 7% drop. It compounded later in the season. So the first seven games of the year, Otis Reese's... Um, grade was seven points higher than the last six. The first seven games of the year, Chance Campbell's grade was 6.9% higher than it was in the last six. These were guys who were averaging 77, 77.2 or something like that snaps per game after October the 30th. So when everybody's getting tired and injuries are piling up and you're playing better and better competition, they were playing 77 snaps a game. The SEC average last year for number of snaps a game by a team was 70. So when we're trying to qualify why depth matters, think of it as Chance Campbell and Otis Reese, on average, were playing seven more snaps than the average SEC defensive unit was per game. And obviously most defensive players are only playing about 60% of their team's snaps. These are guys that were playing up around 90% and their 90% was higher than most teams 100%. When you have depth, when you have not just AJ Finley, Otis Reese, Jake Springer, but you lose Springer, you replace him with Aishim Young, and the Darius Tennyson, and a good freshman class, and now Taishim is playing safety, and Trey Washington's playing safety, and Nickel, and when you have that sort of ability to rotate, your best players are going to get to play well more, because they're not going to be tired at the end of games, and they're not going to be tired at the end of seasons, which is what happened to Ole Miss last year, and it's remarkable that Ole Miss's defense was better down the stretch than it was at the beginning of the season, because they were playing with this like impossible situation where your four or five best players had to be on the field 90% of snaps or else you had no shot.
2: Aren't you then talking yourself into my bullishness
0: I'm, because of that depth? No, I'm just making your argument for you. Cause you didn't want to sound like the, the, I don't remember what you described yourself as. I'm not going to come up with an equal insult. He looks,
2: he looks good out there on the hoof.
0: Yeah. I, I'm just trying to help you on this. Cause I do think that that depth is going to matter. But my question is, will 64 plays a game of Troy Brown be as valuable as 85 plays a game of Chance Campbell? I well, have Why no... not
2: substitute Troy Brown then, even though he's running beside Austin Keys, with an Austin Keys that if he plays to his pro football focus grade, In those, he's got to stay healthy, but in those amount of snaps, expected to get that kind of that snap share, doesn't that change the calculus? Then
0: it does. It really does. But with guys who have done it for small samples, I actually lied who the best defenders were because the second best defender after Austin Keys by grade was Taiwan Malone. Now he played in one quarter last year, so yeah, he's running. (laughs) I think he's running third or fourth team right now. Uh, Yeah, sometimes it's second, sometimes it's third. I can't really. Um, tabulate what the defensive line rotation is because they've got like 17 dudes with the first team sometimes but yeah he's not he is not in the first rotation i'll say he had really one good quarter last year and the grades reflect it. small sample sizes are real but the big point that triggered this rant you and i both think austin keys are going to have a good season and maybe it's coming from different places but i think he's going to have a good season so do you really need 75% of your transfers
2: to be balling out for you? Not necessarily. I, I they think won 10 do. games with Chance and Otis playing every single snap.
0: Yeah, but to go back to what we were talking about last year, uh, earlier at the top of the show, the SEC West was down last year. It's the first time you can say that in a decade. But the S, I mean, Arkansas and Ole Miss finished second and third. Before last year, they had not finished better than fifth, neither of them, since 2015. I mean, it was a weird year. And that's because teams are allowed to get better and worse. That's a cool thing. You're allowed to get better or worse. Yeah, It's It's not not like it has to be Alabama, LSU, Texas, A&M, Auburn every single year to start. It doesn't have to be that way. But my point is, it tends to be that way because those teams tend to be really good. And so if you are betting the expectation I think Ole Miss and Arkansas can be as good as they were last year. I don't think LSU, A&M and Auburn are going to be as down as they were last year or state for that but matter because at what because point do you have to you start give thinking them a different. differently? At what point do you have, you to, do start have to start thinking a bit differently? But yeah. if the other teams are on par with them, that's a lot of coin flips and it's tough to win 3 or 4 consecutive coin flips. It's not impossible, that's called probability, but probability more, yeah, no, Ben, I'm, I'm getting high pitched. I'm getting Southern, whatever accent you want me to do. You want me to do the rest in a New Jersey accent? I'll try, but it's just tough when everybody looks equal.
2: But when does Ole Miss get into the expectation and doesn't have to compete with first year LSU head coach Brian Kelly for Knicks? It's sus preseason love. When his old miss got him baked into the expectation. You get what I'm saying? Because they won 10 games last year. You know, it's a thing.
0: Yeah. When do they get won back 10 to...
2: games once in
0: school history? Is the thing. Like they got to do it a couple more times. And I'm not saying it's got to be more than if they do it this year, sure. You start to say Lane Kiffin's been here three years, two of them, they won 10 games. The expectation's to win 10. That's fair. But they went four and five his first year, and they went 10 and two his second year. Let's see how well they do this year. I, I think it's going to be eight or nine wins, and if that's eight or nine wins, what's the joke we were saying during the end of the Matt Luke era, beginning of the Kiffin era? If if a coach wins eight games a year at Ole Miss, they'll build a statue. That's not true, but it's an old joke for a reason. You start winning eight games a year, if eight wins becomes the expectation, good for them, man. Really, hey, really good Morris for has got
2: his name on the stadium, Vault Kimming, Kiffin Hemingway Stadium. If, if he won eight games a year for a decade or even six years straight, I, I get that. I'm, I'm just looking at this team and I don't know, man. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is more coin flips and, and just living on hopes and dreams as, an, as a person who's been around almost my entire life. But I just, I don't know. Feel pretty also, please, about
0: it. Please don't cut this part out. This is a thing I want to talk directly to the listener. If you want to be excited, please be excited. Excitement <laughs> rules. Like, don't hear me saying rational things and be like, oh, you know what? I guess I'm going to not watch Ole Miss football this year. Ultimately, isn't
2: that where awesome. we are now in every aspect of life? To where it's like, hey, I'm excited about the thing I love. Well, there are some things you need to guard against. How dare you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've really had to work on that in my adult life. The example I love using is... I was the type of person growing up that had the impulse where somebody would be like, Hey, I like star Wars. And I would have a prepared like seven reasons why star Wars. stinks.
2: <laughs> Me too. Like my dad loves what's the second new star Wars. It's got con in it. He loves that into the shadows, whatever they call it, you know, out of the dark, what they call the same. They, all these movies are the same now. So Star, star War, Trek, Star yeah, Trek's, yeah, yeah. shit, sorry. Star Trek two and Benedict Cumberbatch is con and we all knew it was coming. And it's so nonsensical, and I hate it so much. And my dad goes, "Man, I really like that movie." And I just wanted to be like, "No, let me tell you why Khan should not have been." I mean,
0: that's it's okay to enjoy things. It's okay. It's totally okay. The other day, when everybody on Twitter was talking about the new spinoff of that show, we're not allowed to talk about around you. I was watching reruns of Mad About You. People like what they like. Let people be happy. So I'm going to let this
2: guys- tells me is that you have not listened to The Return of the Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers, where me and Maester Daniel broke down episode one of House of Dragon.
0: Oh, you're allowed to talk about the Dragon show in front of Ben again?
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I got dragged into this by enough... It was like five dudes on Twitter for three years since I did this show that kept saying, hey, where's my last Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers? So you know how Twitter's not real life. Even message boards aren't real life. Five, fifty people feel like a million to you because you're in this yeah. very small bubble of life and uh so for three years five people it was non-stop hey where's my freaking not as dark and full of spoilers so i come back and do it with maester daniel my older brother daniel um <laughs> on sunday he comes over at midnight and we do it we just sat there and talked about game of thrones and so oh. i'm all the way back in yeah of course i am you know me i'm impulsive of course i'm all the way back in of course
0: No, if you think it's going to be better than the original, that's awesome. That's not what I said. I I didn't say you did. I am once again addressing the audience. It's okay to like things. Please like things.
2: Can we like Ole Miss in 2022 to potentially upset the status quo?
0: That's the whole question here. Yeah, you can. I don't know if I will, but you can.
2: When could you potentially get on board with the argument for and not against?
0: Are you talking this season or broadly?
2: This season and broadly. I just love you putting on your thinking cap. Um, his video's on, so I get to watch his reactions to things. This is, makes it so much better.
0: <laughs> I don't know if they beat Kentucky to start five and zero, and then also beat Auburn to be seven and zero. I'll start sitting here thinking, "It's working." Hey,
2: you, you'll go to the New Albany ginger idiot scouting report up they look pretty good man that's how we talk over uh, that's how we talk over at
0: Tallahatchie Gourmet look pretty good how the rebels looking boy they look good the the really frustrating thing about college football is the sample size of like man you got 12 games to look good if this team played 100 games I I think I'd pick them to win 70 to 70 percent of them 70, they 75% didn't of them. 2019-ish. They played
2: well. Yeah, they'd have that 2019-ish Atlanta Braves vibe when they were a little earlier than you expected, even though they won 10 games last year. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. I, I am I'm excited to see where this goes. Going back to what I said at the top of the show of there's nobody who I think man, I gotta pay attention to him every snap, but there's 30 guys that I'm like, I want to see what they do. That's that's exciting. That's an exciting type of football that's very different. I can't imagine there are too many other teams in college football, maybe a USC, maybe a Miami, that this year have just so much unexplained feelings of just like there is optimism and the optimism is warranted, but we have no idea where it's going to come from. It's it's tough. It's really weird. It's very interesting. I am looking forward to October and November when the games get – a little more notable that's not to say they won't be challenged by Troy or Georgia Tech or Tulsa but I think they'll be more challenged by an SEC schedule I think that's always fair to say so yeah let's let's see how they do those first three SEC games against Kentucky and Vanderbilt and Auburn and if you're sitting at 7-0 and you're like oh man this team's number four in the country number five in the country this is a great year we're going to the playoff and then you finish one and four to go eight and four. Remember, eight and four is still good. That's I guess the only thing I'll say is starting four and two and finishing four and two is the same as starting seven and oh and finishing one and four. So try to keep that perspective because the back half of the schedule is a lot harder than the front half.
2: I need you to not do the Nick thing where you talk and talk and talk. Cause I told you i would only keep you for 30 minutes. And of course it went way longer. You called that. So I need to do rapid fire. Now don't do the thing where I say do rapid fire. So don't go all Nick and then talk for 10 minutes and then just go. Yeah. No, don't do that. Sudden. It doesn't have to be the complete opposite. That'd be jarring. Find (laughs) a happy medium here for some rapid fire to get out of this podcast, get it done with it. Sus rapid fire. You ready? Sure. Okay. Number one, how close is Lane Kiffin to being in that group of coaches you've been talking about that gives you different, expectations for a school like when brian kelly goes to lsu well lsu just by default is now elevated how close is lane given to that three
0: more new year's six bowls i think maybe maybe you could say two maybe the first one is where you started but i tend to think unless you can start recruiting at a kirby smart jimbo fisher kind of level where you have a top five recruiting class every year. And that kind of gives you the benefit of the doubt. He's going to need to get into that category of trying to think of a good example here of coaches that I guess Mark D'Antonio is probably a really good example of, you don't have that top five, top 10 recruiting class, but you're winning nine, 10 games a year. I think you do that three or four times and you can start to say, oh, here's a David Shaw caliber coach. Here's a Mark D'Antonio caliber coach that can get you to the playoff in a, in a really good year where everything works out. Uh, yeah, let's let's call it two and a half to three more seasons like last year.
2: Who are Nick Suss's betting favorites to be those dudes you've been talking about? The top end roster
0: pointed to, it. I got to
2: watch those guys. Here are the betting favorites
0: offense I'm going to go with Zach Evans and Michael Trigg defense I'm going to go with J.J. Pegues and A.J. Finley if Jackson Dart was named the starting quarterback today would he jump in there for you too maybe but I do think they're going to ease whoever the quarterback is in I, I think that all this perception we have of oh Dart's a gunslinger oh this oh that he's still not going to be the one calling the plays There are still going to be systems in place to protect him from his worst tendencies and also to Feed into his best tendencies. So he could be a superstar day one, but I still think given where the strengths of this team lie, Evans and Trigg feel a little more likely. The fate
2: of your friend Ben is on the line. You have to make a decision, a Sophie's choice, of whether or not these Ole Miss Rebels win more than eight and a half or less than eight and a half, because if you're wrong, your friend Ben, he moves on to the next realm. Are you picking above eight and a half or below eight and a half? You have to. My life is on the line. Now,
0: this is hard because you don't want me to use a one-word answer, but I can answer it in one word. Okay. Below. I'm going to pick eight.
2: Okay. You realize my life is on the
0: line. So you feel safer with your eight. I do. I'm now thinking about your kids having a (laughs) single mother, and that makes me sad but otherwise yeah I'll, I'll stick with eight
2: is that Hanna Barbera character or the dog that always snickers in the background i have become that on podcast i'm always just <laughs> all the time
0: uh, i just can't wait until i just can't wait until we age into being statler and waldorf <laughs> that's what we'd be you know obviously i'm waldorf right sure Yeah, yeah i don't know the difference i just know them as the collective oh
2: Oh well, that's a whole other conversation. I think we could do a whole podcast on a deep dive of the Muppets and fives of people would care.
0: Yeah, but I would I would I would absolutely if if House of Dragons gets canceled somehow and you need a TV show podcast, if we need to review old 70s episodes of the Muppet show, we'll love it. I'm sure, i would love that I'm sure Ozzy
2: Bear is my anytime anybody says, I hey, use your favorite cartoon character, or I'm like, it's not cartoon, it's just any entertainment entity. Fozzie Bear is my spirit animal.
0: That's a great choice. It's an
2: absolutely great choice. Yeah, he's the best. All right. Well, this was supposed to be 30 minutes and of course it went way longer because I had to mess my friend Nick. So thank you.
0: Yeah, no, I'm happy to. Re- please please pay for the Clarion ledger if you have money and if not just listen to me when I'm on the podcast. I'm, I'm I just went super indecisive there. But yeah, that's my only plug. If you can pay for No, me, the
2: plug needs to be Nick is great at his job. You won't do this. You th- you're thinking of my kids. You got a soft heart, man. I'll do it for you. Nick Suss covers Old Mess for the Jackson Clearing Ledger. He does a great job. At Nick Suss, thank you, buddy. Thank you, Ben.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun –